I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I see culture and music, which is the only thing I really know about, is like a kind of dog repeatedly eating its own vomit and then vomiting up again. It's just that kind of process going on. And then sometimes, occasionally, maybe a few new things are added in the mix. Hi, I'm Sam Wolfson. Welcome to the Vice UK podcast. This is a bit of a personal thing that I worry about, an idea that everything's sort of been done before in culture. I guess in music and film, TV, recently it's sort of half felt like we're just going over the same thing over and over again. A new Ghostbusters film, a new Spider-Man film, a kind of house cover of a Robin song that only came out three years ago. And then it half feels like we're in the most innovative time ever where like, you know, you can watch Breaking Bad or listen to a Kanye album and you kind of know that it will be held up as a cultural great for years to come. I guess I'm confused about it. And I want to talk to a few people who are a bit smarter than me and see if we can work out whether culture is actually slowing down. And if it is, whether that matters or if we can just bask in the reflective glory of the past and stop worrying about always trying to be new. Are there more important things than being new? I'm joined by Matthew Stone, who's a visual artist. He's also a bit of a cultural commentator and he kind of thinks a lot about these ideas, you know, how art develops. Uh, We've got a newbie to the podcast, Alex Miller, who works on Viceland and Angus from Thump. But before we hear from them, spoke to a couple of people, artists, creatives, about whether this is something that they worry about. First, Marina Abramovich. She is widely regarded as one of the most sort of boundary-pushing original performance artists in the world. But even she says that sometimes she just feels like she's stealing someone else's idea. I went to see the IBB exhibition two days ago. It's like he almost read my mind. I made already, so I have to leave it. You know, there's so many times that ideas are kind of in the air and you pick them up telepathically or whatever, you know, you have ideas that, you know, other people have. And this is, you have to be very aware of what's happening and very aware of history. Don't repeat this, you know, we have to move on. We have to just drop this out and that's it, let's go next. And there's some ideas sometimes that you don't have any ideas and you have this complete block of creation. And I remember how unbelievable scared I was when I was young and I think it will never come back. But now I trust it. 
the all I have to do is to live my life and things come naturally. Even if they say to but my work how is so shocking. But this is not is not really a reason I'm doing it. And maybe shocking is the first moment when you start thinking you understand the real depth of that work. And sometimes the most shocking things are the most simple things. You know, like purity of the idea and honesty. That's actually shocking. People are shocked to something. <laughs> they don't expect other people to be honest or to or to or to say everything about themselves. And you know, it's lots of ugliness up there, you know? And and also people don't have time even to be with themselves, to believe themselves. So I think that the shocking could be simplicity. My performance in Artists' Present was pretty shocking for everybody. It was about nothing. It was the two chairs and looking at the eyes of a person, how simple you can go. But now United Nations is making this project. Now everybody is copying this project because people understand how important is human contact, how with technology we completely lost it, how the young kids who sit in the bar and text each other messages, cross each other and not talk, you know? Sometimes the simplicity and honesty is the most shocking of all. So that's the kind of high art perspective and you can understand there when everything's so sort of reviewed and critiqued why people would focus a lot on originality. But what's the more like mainstream view? If you're a TV commissioner, what's your priority? Audience or originality? Uh, my name's Faraz Osman. I am the managing director of television indie Lemonade Money. The thing about content is that you come to it as a member of the audience and you want a sense of familiarity. You can only get that by certain ways, particularly when it comes to video content. It's either by who hosts it or it's by the format or, or it's even by the channel that's broadcasting it. But you need something that tells you what your geography is in the content that you're watching because you're going to invest a significant period of time in that content and you need a door that allows you in and, and kind of guide you through it. So to give you an example, you know, you want a presenter like Davina McCall, Anton Deck, Jonathan Ross, who you know and you know their tone and you know their humour and you know what they're going to give you. And then they can give you an original idea and take you down a route that you may not have traditionally gone down. Or you get some new talent and, and they take you on a familiar route that you may have seen before, but you want to see their perspective on it because, you know, they're somebody new and you've not been introduced to their ideas before. But to get something that's completely brand new with a new format with new talent in a way that you've never seen before is a, is a real challenge um, not just for commissioners and I, I think it's unfair to kind of just point at commissioners and point at channels and kind of go well you're just giving us the same old shit because the reality is is that yeah but if we give you something completely new how, why are you going to come to it what is it that's going to bring you to that space um, and then you get into this weird world of provocative channel names or provocative TV titles or or something that's you know got a bit of PR around it and, and that's not necessarily a good thing you need something that kind of allows you to come to it as an audience member and you can kind of go this feels like it's for me and then you can invest in for an hour So we've had highbrow, we've had mainstream. The last person I spoke to was Danielle Hall. He's someone who's really pushing the boundaries within pop music. What's the deal with originality in the music industry? I don't think it's homogenous and I think it moves in cycles and I think we're going to come out of this current cycle quite soon. Repetition is more or less impossible. If Prince did a cover of Enya, it wouldn't sound like Enya. It wouldn't really be repetition, would it? I see culture and music, which is the only thing I really know about, is like a kind of dog repeatedly eating its own vomit and then vomiting up again. 
it's just that kind of process going on and then sometimes occasionally maybe a few new things are added in the mix the track hotel room service by pitbull uses a tune from uh, nightcrawlers push the feeling on which in itself is a remix where you can barely hear the original track it's not a remix but it's like a it's an edit where you can barely hear the original track and that's like levels of regurgitation that it's, it's insane like if you tr- if you track where that comes from and i'm a big fan of all of those pieces of music that have come through that process and i kind of love that process of regurgitation that's happened and i think that's kind of why it's interesting as well culturally i listen to all the music i love find the exact bits that i love work out exactly how they're made and then try and like one up that like if there's a particular riff that i like i'll write it down and then see if i can come up with a better one like using the same like like instruments or sounds or whatever thanks very much to marina faraz and danny i guess that's a kind of range of different opinions there that we heard we're joined now by matthew stone who's an artist director anything else i should be throwing in there just that that's done Alex Miller from Vice and Viceland and Angus from Thump Matthew let me start with you like in your work as an artist is this a thought that ever crosses your mind is it something that kind of niggles at you that you've got to be careful not to copy things that have already happened yeah I mean I think that I feel like I have on a personal level quite a sort of complex relationship to thinking about newness and I feel like I do have this deep kind of respect for the past. And I think that in my work, I've been battling that at various points. Um, I sometimes feel like I've spent a lot of time trying to find a contemporary way of making figurative paintings or maybe even making what in the past might have been considered religious paintings. Is that so you find the weight of kind of art history on your shoulders a little uncomfortable? There's a respect there, and I think that instinctively I have this kind of core belief which I'm constantly trying to challenge, which is that artists are simply speaking of the eternal in the language of their times. That there is this kind of like transcendent universalist set of themes that artists are dealing with. And intellectually, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I kind of simultaneously, while I'm working in a more instinctive and intuitive way, that is informing what I'm doing. Right. And so part of me thinks that the whole concept of newness is just a capitalist construct and that our obsession with novelty is part of a distraction that pulls us away from experiencing real life in real time. How do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> uh, well, I, I feel mean, like that needs well, some unpacking. <laughs> possibly. I mean, to begin with, I think in advertising, sort of historically, the word new has been the most widely used term. And so it is used to try and make things seem attractive to people. And as I understand advertising, it's kind of using art or using culture to lie about products so that people feel like they need something that they don't. And so I wonder how much newness is born of that type of thinking. So as sort of capitalism increases in our life, so the importance of newness becomes sort of all-encompassing it's to do with the rate at which people become bored as well with things 
Do you think, Alex, that the rate at which people become bored of things is increasing? Are we kind of more aware of how much has been done before and our kind of cultural history now than previously? I think that the rate that people become bored with things, you could argue, is is increasing because the rate through which we kind of interact with uh, multiple things speeds up with the internet. However, that said, clearly people got bored in the past because the actual number of years between, I don't know, the Beatles and the Pistols is incredibly small. So yeah. clearly everybody was bored because they kept on inventing new and awesome things. Mm. Um, but yeah, now I certainly think that it's much easier for uh, somebody growing up now and he's 15 now to be a kind of musical completist than it was back in the day. If you wanted to know about jazz or about punk, you'd probably have to choose whether you spend your money on a Cramps LP or a Lee Morgan LP, and you might not be able to get to know both. Whereas now you can know both if you're a kid, you just press a button, and of yeah. course that has a massive impact. I think that one of the main reasons that we're really concerned about the new is that for quite a long time, basically since the pop uh, culture period and the televisual period, it's kind of felt like there was a year zero, and that was about the time that, like, I don't know, pop bands started appearing on the Ed Sullivan Show, mm. and it's always felt like we're kind of going from there. And that kind of strange, like, made-up rule, which right. we all have, means that we then are obsessed with the new... I know, like, there's a bit in, in one of Mark Fisher's books where he's like, if you play Jungle... Just me behind. Yeah, just dropping it in. Uh, <laughs> If you played like a jungle track to someone four years earlier, they would be like, whoa, what the fuck is this? Like there was such a, sh a big kind of shift in technology and music. Innovation in music is so closely tied to technology. I think that's one of the reasons that say, maybe we don't think that there's been a huge leap in musical innovation, like a kind of really seismic shift in the say last 10 years is because I actually struggle to think of one invention or one kind of innovation that's come along that would have changed everything in the way that the electric guitar would have done. Sure, that's true, as far as the actual, the way the music sounds, but what about, I don't know, just for example, in over the last year, the visual album, right? Mm. And so it's like, Beyonce's going to make an amazing music video for anything, but actually, who on earth is ever going to sit down and watch them all? But that, in 20 years could easily seem like the beginning of something enormous when the music and the visual became not just closely linked but inseparable. But maybe it is a particularly acute problem in music. If you ask people like the top 100 TV shows of all time, a lot of them would have come out in the last sort of 10, 15 years. If you ask people the kind of top 100 pop records of all time, finding them in the last kind of 10 years might be a bit more difficult. Um, to go back to what we were talking about earlier with regard to potentially things speeding up. If you look at a sort of longer arc of history, I feel like in particularly in artistic movements, there is this, you can kind of identify shifts occurring across centuries. And then you also have this sort of Timothy Leary theory of novelty where he talks interestingly about a kind of, I think it's time wave zero or something like that, where there's this critical point where what was in fashion yesterday is back in fashion the next day. I think also Björk has talked about this kind of speeding up of culture. And I wonder whether we actually have moved past that point. It doesn't really feel like it because it just feels like technology is amplifying at such an extreme rate that that's having a really extreme impact on the things that are happening in the world. Does it matter if something sounds or looks or has a feeling of kind of, whoa, this is very boundary breaking? Or does that inherently give it more artistic merit? You know, art is supposed to sort of in its labyrinthine ways move systematically through a series of kind of 
visual phenomena and work out whether certain things are possible. I guess that in a certain sense, you have to define new. So it has to be something that maybe people feel like they haven't seen before. Part of me kind of thinks like, is, is culture cheating if all the people that invent technology are actually the ones that are driving this change? Is that actually new or is it the same thing but done with new technology? Okay, so you can say like Picasso sees uh, African art for the first time. It influences the way he works. Of course, that's not new art. That's the first time he's seeing it, right? And this is his reaction to that. What's interesting now is that everybody gets to see something at the same time because of the internet. Mm. So perhaps there's less of this staggered uh, response to various things. I mean, Picasso's reacting to stuff there, which is deep culture for another part of the planet. Yeah. yeah, and I think also what's super interesting to think about is that he was inspired and appropriated a culture that emerged from a culture that had potentially completely different ways of thinking about time and the concept of novelty in relation to culture. I'm wondering how much newness is sort of white supremacy made manifest in cultural form. Yeah, I mean, a thing that we have a lot less of now is the kind of Paul Simon model, right? Where you go and you hear something quote unquote new to you, which has been, go like you say, has been going on for hundreds of years. And then you make a sort of white version of that, which is influenced by it. And actually that, you know, all the way from, you know, it's not just white guys like Miles Davis, Sketches of Spain and all of that kind of stuff. Elvis, obviously, like that used to be a big part of the kind of musical progression people had their different eras as they kind of discovered new kinds of music whereas now i think there is more of a focus on just going to the source as it were i just think dance music and club culture is one area that provides a really really good model for this and maybe suggest that it, the problem is less um the pursuit of the new and how important newness is but more the kind of slightly corrosive effect nostalgia can have and leaning too heavily on nostalgia. I think that, that you'd, you'd really struggle actually to see beyond say like last few years, maybe like Jersey Club. I can't really think of many meaningful new movements in dance music past dubstep really. Um, and instead what we've got is this huge glorification of movements like disco or kind of acid house that are now as unsurprisingly kind of repackaged by white blokes from like middle england where you know movements that were originally from like detroit are now kind of being sold in huge like 20 pound ticket warehouse raves in the middle of london let's move this on a little bit i mean are there things that are more important than being original if you're creating and i don't just mean in kind of high art but generally in the stuff that we do in our jobs you know like is it important that the thing you're doing is like something that's never been seen before or is there a lot to be said for other kind of factors in creativity and if so any thoughts on what they might be? <laughs> I feel like telling the truth somehow is kind of an important thing to do. Look, it's very easy to get kind of stuck into the forms of it and getting really, right. really obsessed with, is this form a new thing? Have I invented a new way to record a sound? Have I invented a new way to make a mark on a wall? Mm. Um, but actually, when you look, especially at the rather unpleasant, turbulent times that we're in, you suddenly understand the importance of ownership of a cultural narrative. And actually, if the best way to kind of look at, I don't know, the refugee crisis now is a series of plays or a series of short stories, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to totally redesign the wheel there. Like, you might just be dealing with the big issues that we're facing in the clearest and most powerful way possible. Ultimately, I think that it's quite possible to get very academic-y and very kind of geeky about art. But actually, the most of the reasons that 
probably all of us fell in love with music or art or books or whatever when we were young is because it had an emotional uh, transformative effect on us. And I think that we live in a world now which many of us would like to transform. And so it's probably important for us not to get obsessed about the form and more about what we tr want to try and transform it into. I, I agree. I think it's really interesting to take a more like, uh, I suppose, a tinkering view of art. Like, let's say that we have now got the entirety of the 20th century's worth of art. It's quite nice to maybe take the attitude of why don't we now look at that and see what more nuanced versions of those things we can build that better serve people, make better connections with them. When we are critiquing things, for saying that they're very unoriginal, when we look at kind of, you know, the same superhero f like identikit formats, you know, making a Batman film every three years, is it that we're actually criticizing it for being unoriginal, or is it what you guys are saying that we're criticizing it for not really telling any truth? Often for really successful culture, there is the element that makes something interesting, engaging, is mercurial. And sometimes it's to do with newness, but then sometimes there are examples of people who make great cultural progress using existing tropes. A part of the obsession with the last few decades or whatever with newness I think is tied up with the idea of um, the individual or, or group of people as kind of geniuses, right? And yeah. it's the idea that, oh wow, a man or a woman can do this one thing and it changes everything. And yeah. like, I'd say that one reason it doesn't feel like that anymore is because that's not how we organize society anymore. I'd say that a lot of the most complex ideas are worked out by groups mm. in societies on the internet. I mean, I also think there's this other thing. There's a band I really like at the moment called The Rhythm Method, and they are so derivative. Like, you could literally quarter them, and basically they are influenced by Blur, The Street, like Michael Barrymore, Mr. Saturday Night kind of vibes, and Realize and, Realize and <laughs> Chas and Dave. And they are an exact summation of all those things, but putting them all together at a time when none of those things feel very like popular of the moment creates something that feels very like kind of cuts through and watching a gig of them I was like wow I haven't really seen anything like this for a long time even though I could fully trace back mm. and I think you know it's kind of what you're saying it's about the context and the time isn't it that that's really true and I think context like the knowing who's made it and the time it's been made and hugely changes everything like Martin Parr put on that really good exhibition at the Barbican this year earlier this year which was fo photographs taken by foreign photographers of England um, which again they might be images that you'd look at and think that's just a fairly standard image a nicely taken photograph of an old lady looking at bit pissed off on a bench somewhere but actually knowing that it's taken through this certain t like person's eyes or you know during a certain time completely changes the response you have to it so that surely has some value in the conversation yeah, I, know. I know a lot of painters at the moment that talk about their sort of method as being a kind of hodgepodge of their favorite bits of other artists mm -hmm. ways of painting and so the way that you were talking about before about this band that's kind of hung drawn and quartered into different cultural references and you know in such a decisive way i think that you know i've heard people talk about creating culture with that as a modus operandi mm. and i don't know how much of that is a coping mechanism for like you say the the weight of history i guess like one thing that we haven't really talked about you know, which we heard from the TV commissioner, this idea of like the audience, the audience actually feels much more comfortable with things that they've already seen and know. And the reason that films maybe are all very similar to films that have gone in the past is because that's a good way to get people through the doors of cinemas. I think that there are people who are obsessed with newness and they 
engage with the pursuit of newness often in quite ridiculous ways or what might seem ridiculous to people who are less interested in newness so i think to do something new truly new like transgressively new you may end up looking ridiculous whilst doing it why are we taking as read that right now there's less innovative blockbuster films i mean i haven't really thought about this but i'm just looking back at like blockbusters of the 90s and they, they weren't like all art house movies what maybe we're talking about is the fact there are loads of franchises in blockbuster films, so everything falls under the same like Marvel banner or like a Harry Potter banner or whatever. But actually, within those frameworks, that doesn't necessarily mean that every single Marvel film is a complete carbon copy of also, every single like, that that's came before new, it. Right? Like having yeah, you know, twelve movies following the same plot is like new. I mean, the only franchises that ever hit that <laughs> kind of number before were like Carry On films and James Bond films. Yeah. Um, and they didn't really interlink. Uh, <laughs> and also something like Indiana Jones, which you maybe think of as some like classic, like groundbreaking, like blockbuster of its time, was literally just a pastiche of like Saturday morning TV shows from like Midwestern America. Yeah. It's a lot better. 1950s. <laughs> For ages, it seemed to me, when we got to a period in history when the 60s was about 60 years ago. We were just going to live in an endless cycle because that's when everything started to be filmed. And it does seem very much like that's the case. And I do wonder if part of your question is been inspired, consciously or unconsciously, by the fact that we spend so much time looking back at the lives of people who've just died mm. because there's so much good footage of them. Mm. And so, you know, they say 2016, the year the more celebrities died than ever. Whereas, no, it's the year the TV celebrities died. Yeah. I'm very interested in new culture. I watch a lot of TV and listen to new music and stuff. And then I, you know, Leonard Cohen dies and I look at these like old footage of him just fucking chirps and girls on tour. And I'm just like, oh, this is cool. Nothing's ever going to be cooler than this. And that's when I get that hit with the, the feeling of like, oh, is all the good stuff already happened actually you know that this this guy who was a true troubadour who was able to disappear for 10 years in greece and then like write an yeah, album about it and do loads of acid yeah these fake ass george ezra troubadours i've got no time for them anymore all the stuff around barry and prince and stuff where you're just being told like these guys were innovators these guys changed everything these guys are cool and here's some fucking cool footage to prove it mm. I mean, but that, even if that's not true, that like, does really get into your brain, I think. Yeah, but I sometimes think that's also the, the misconception. There's a, each like decade has its singular identity. That like, if you go back into the 60s, like everyone just looked the same way. The 70s, like the same way. Whereas actually, mm. I do, I do think that now, yeah, it is a lot more general. But I'm sure that there will be a version in like 40, 50 years of what the like 2010s teenager looked like with his fucking like. We do that even quicker now. We're able to identify that quicker than we ever were, I think, almost. I was um, at art school in the early 2000s. That, to me, felt like peak everything's been done. And so when I hear people say that, (laughs) I almost feel like that conversation's been done. Yeah. and I think everyone has always felt it. Do you think John no, Lennon felt it? No, I don't. I think that the mediation of culture and the fact that we can see so much stuff all at once affects the way that we think. Mm. Um, and, you know, certain things like if you th- feel like you've coined a phrase and then you Google it or you search Twitter for it, someone has said it. Someone <laughs> has already done it. You couldn't search it in the past, so you That's couldn't true. know that. So you couldn't feel small because of it <laughs> i haven't been able to tweet some of my best gags because i've searched them and but found it's true. <laughs> it's like what's the equivalent of like bowie and Louis gunner berlin and discovering krautrock right like there's no space to go to anymore right but plus also yeah like, plus also everybody hates cultural appropriation now if we're all kind of agreed that actually culture hasn't slowed down and that new things are still happening and important things are still happening what do you predict people will look back at the 2010s and say that that was the culture of of the era i'd say that miley cyrus twerking at the vmas 
it beginning a conversation about cultural appropriation yeah. is actually really significant. Yeah. Uh, about how how we view culture and personal politics and also historical politics. Yeah. I would yeah, agree I, with that a lot. I would totally link it to politics. I don't know if it's just because of literally where we are right now, but I think that... Um, I think that we'll look at 2016 as almost the point where we realized that potentially culture had, has failed um, in the sense of uh, assuming that it has a transgressive, truly transgressive nature uh, beyond the symbolic. There's an interesting thing in 2016 that to kind of go around going, fuck what came before, let's like rip it up, fuck you mum, fuck you dad, fuck everything you stand for. It's now not the punks who say that, it's the Trumps who say that. Mm -hmm. And actually lots of good social victories which have been made over the years um, are in danger of being eroded by, this, by a group of misanthropic right-wingers. Mm. And, and in a way it's like now it seems to be more the job of the artist to perhaps not preach revolution, but actually preach, hold on, let's not throw everything away that we fought so hard to get. Mm. Isn't that a form of conservatism in itself? Absolutely. But a big question is, is whether or not those things actually manifested themselves in ways more than, yay, we put somebody on the cover of a magazine. Oh, no, and that's what no, I mean no, by the, the idea of culture only not, really operating within the som symbolic. I'm not saying that those things were done. <laughs> I'm just saying that um, whether it's Donald Trump or Le Pen, Mm -hmm. There are people there who want to roll them back a long, long way. I, I know. I actually do massively know what you mean, and I think it is. It, there is really this thing about the kind of failings of the left because it's brought into the politics of nice pictures and kind of mm -hmm. good-sounding like clickbait. But I still think that there is an inherent power in communicating ideas in a way that can only be done through art, and I think that there is there are still conversations that can only take place via uh, theatre or film or music or, or visual art. And I actually think that the second we say that actually those things have failed, we're kind of giving up to just the economy of capitalism or just the kind of general progress march. Yeah. Like these I, things are I just going to happen. I think they failed because we gave in to capitalism right, okay. further on the line. So, you know, we say, okay, we love the one big pop star. We don't need to invest in... Sure, okay. In, you know, so actually but then, but then not in its current form. Not, and I not, think yeah. essentially it's just shit has got real. And so yeah. hopefully art will now be made that comes from a real Which place is, rather yeah. than a kind of... If you look for an example of where art has solved the problem, that's probably not going to happen, right? No. But it's more about if you have a deep meaningful culture for many people across multiple societies, then possibilities seem endless and opportunities arise. Mm. And it's through that kind of like cultural revolution that things change. Yeah. Which is why I really think that the Jeremy Corbyn Christmas single is going to make a massive, uh, a massive impact. difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Trap I hear it. And I, we could play it out because really, are they going to sue us? If they tried to sue us for <laughs> using their, <laughs> it would be a, it would be a sad day for uh, the Corbynistas. I was going to ask you all for one time in which you have wholeheartedly and unashamedly stolen something, maybe not in your professional lives, mm. but in your personal lives, a look, a vibe, a catchphrase. I think I was about 13 and you they play this game where you have to like write the first line in a book and then <laughs> everyone puts them in and then one's the real one you got to guess which one the real one is hmm. and i thought i was being super cool and like quoting from a film that no one had ever heard of and i wrote the opening lines of taxi driver and everyone <laughs> went wait who wrote who just wrote taxi driver done yeah i can't think of a clean cut example 
I was going to say... That's probably because I'm too much of a narcissist to allow myself to realise that it's happening. Never even a vibe. Like, you never even saw kids dressed in... Michael Jackson, like, clothing-wise, right. a lot. In what era? Certainly not now. Not right now. <laughs> not this second. Um, Sorry, this is radio. I could have fully yeah, let you yeah. get away with that. Um, wearing one glove. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few different eras of my life. Really? What, different eras of your life matching to different eras of Michael Jackson? I definitely had a red leather jacket at one point, wow. And I had some black trousers that I'd stitched diamante to the sides also I had a, a kind of stripe going all the way down I've definitely bought penny loafers at a different point when I wanted a more demure look I was going to admit to an actual crime oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is that uh, Danielle Hall who features on this podcast when I knew him as Daniel Hall who was a very sort of nerdy music like logic guy I just got him to do all my music tech coursework for me because I was really shit at computers and he was really good <laughs> so that's a shameful in a way you the original person on PC music yeah <laughs> very much so All right, thank you very much, Matthew, Angus, Alex. I guess that was a heated discussion and we disagreed a little bit, but one thing that really seems to come out to me is culture isn't as progressive and boundary pushing as we'd like it to be, and perhaps it has slowed down in recent years. But maybe that hunger for newness and originality, only defining things by if they've reinvented the wheel, has actually led culture to kind of fail us and to get away from more important responsibilities like telling us the truth. That was the Vice UK podcast, produced by Sam Bonham at Rethink Audio. It'd be great if you could subscribe on iTunes and also give us a review. Right now, number one on the podcast charts is this vlogger, and I quite want to strangle him. Uh, we'll be back next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.